pray, and then we'll jump into the, the sermon today. Thank you, God, for your guidance and for your love. Thank you for what happened at General Assembly. Uh, thank you, Father, for the fact that we know uh, we are yours and that you're involved in all that's going on and that you will lead us forward in, from strength to strength. And we just trust you in that, Lord. Whatever you have for us, make it clear and allow it to be known. God, we pray now that as we, just as we so often do on Sundays, we turn our attention to this incredible book that you have inspired. Help us to glean its truth. Uh, help us to be changed by it. Help us to come, Lord, to a, maybe a deeper understanding of faith so that we can, really, uh, we can really encounter you, God, in a new way. So bless us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a few weeks ago, too, now, I uh, wasn't with you last Sunday, as some of you might know, uh, we finished a series on David and Goliath. And my sense is from a lot of people who made comment that God really worked in that series, and for that I'm really thankful. Uh, essentially what happened is, um, and this is from my personal perspective, I taught you about something that for a long time I believed, but, um, and I'm going to put it this way, I didn't believe functionally. So what we did was look at Goliath, that big enemy of the people of God, and we uh, allowed him, as I think scripture does, to represent evil in this world. We have an enemy. And um, for a long time, I believed in the, in the devil. I grew up believing in the devil. You know, I was told as a little kid, there's a devil, I believed it. But for a long time, I would suggest to you, I didn't have a functional belief in the devil. Excuse me, in other words, I didn't bother with that reality. I just lived my life as a follower of Jesus. I just did my thing. But resist the devil and he will flee from you. Didn't know what that meant. Pray and speak against evil in the name and the authority of Jesus, as I have taught you to do. Didn't engage that. I just didn't bother much with the devil. And I hope that uh, what we have dug into over five or six weeks has really been a blessing to you and will allow you to be more functionally engaged with that dynamic. I want to start a series today, um, and although it's very, very different, the topic, in a way it's similar to what I've just described. Something that I had, I've been taught about all my life, um, a belief in the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we believe in God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed, we just sang it. Did anybody notice? I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in a very creative and beautiful way, I thought. But this, the focus was on God the Father the sovereign God enthroned in heaven who is this sovereign plan for the world, the powerful almighty God. And then God the Son, Jesus, who came to the earth and he died on the cross and he was raised to new life and he ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, our Savior, our Lord. Those, that's where the focus was. God the Father, God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit. There, believed in, but functionally, what did it mean? For me, honestly, not too, too much. Um... And, and that has changed as the engagement with the dynamic of the reality of evil has changed in my life. In my journey, I've come to a place where I recognize, my goodness, there's something of great significance here for us as followers of Jesus. And I don't know whether you share this sort of experience that I've had, whether you're still at that place where, of course I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I don't quite know what that means for my life. Or whether you've gone farther with that. But what I'd love to do in this series is start to unpack this reality for you. To help you come to a place where you begin to understand what it means to know that God the Spirit is alive in me. Um, for this series, I want to ask a question. And I think it brings the issue, if you would, to the fore. 
And I want you to grapple with the question. You know, I was preparing this morning. I always preach to myself. Did you know that? Oh, I just love to hear myself talk. <laughs> I prepare, of course. And I, 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 I said this out loud in my preparation. And I, wonder, I said, I wonder if that actually happens. You know, I, ex I really want you, as the people of IPC, to grapple with this question I'm about to ask you. Now, whether you will or not, I have no idea. But I want you to know that I really expect you to. I want you to, as I often ask questions of you. And the question very simply is this. Um, how much do you experience God? I'm not talking, do you believe in God? I'm not talking, you know, about the specific doctrines that you may have been taught at some point in your life or listened to blogs and other sermons and you've read good stuff and, yeah, I believe there's a God in heaven and even Father. Yeah, I'm wanting to know how much do you experience God in your life? You know, some people might respond to the question and say, well, honestly, Chris, I don't. Um, hope that's okay. <laughs> of course it's okay if that's where you're at. But what I would hope for you is that someday you'll come to a place where you are experiencing God. And I would point out the possibility as well that it's possible to experience God but not know it. God blesses and God loves and God is good to us and it's possible to be a recipient of that but not know it. So just keep that in mind as well. But yeah, if, 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 you, if you were one of those folks right now who says, hey, I don't, I don't encounter God. I don't experience him in my life. Okay. It's possible some people could hear the question and say, well, a long time ago I experienced God. Maybe when you were converted. Maybe when you received Christ in your life by faith. I knew I was in the presence of God and I knew God was real in that moment but not, not now. I mean, that's that's like historic and it's what I've based my life on. But encounter God, experience him? No, I, not much. I, I can't say that's so. But the other response, and of course there are many, is that the people would say something like, experience God, yeah, all the time. In very real, profound, and life-changing ways. I know that God is at work in me. And you know what? I'm thrilled by it, and, and it's what's so critically important for me. Here's what I'd like to suggest as we jump into this series this morning, is that that's God's intention, ultimately. The Bible is clear. God wants us to experience Him all the time. As we are in relationship with God, and God is in relationship with us, God is present to us, God is active, and we're seeing Him work in and through us as a normal part of life. Um... Now, I want, to, I, I want to talk just about experience for a minute. I grew up as part of the Christian church, the universal Christian church. And experiencing God was not the priority. I think probably a lot of you were in that same category. Probably not all of you, because other denominations actually make experiencing God a priority. But in my tradition, this Reformed tradition that I'm still part of, knowing God was the critical thing. You know, understanding the truth of God was paramount. You know, and we did those long catechism classes, and we... You know, learn the creeds and those sorts of things. Um, but experience, no, that was considered too subjective. And as a result of it being too subjective, it wasn't e even to be trusted. Be careful with that. It was something that we, we, we stepped away from. But, but let me tell you this. Truth is a critical thing. It is, it is one of the strengths of the Reformed Church, the priority and understand of the reformed part of the christian church understanding the, the the truth of scripture getting that right 
But I want to tell you, you cannot know the truth of the Word of God without the work of the Spirit of God in your life. They are not to be held at odds with one another because, as we'll find out, it is the Spirit of God that teaches the truths of God to us at a deep level. You know, God has designed it this way, I would suggest to you. We can't even come to believe in Christ without the presence and the ministry and the activity of the Spirit of God in us to open our eyes and to convict us of sin and to call us to the Lord. That's something only God does. So, yeah, truth is critically important, but the experience of the, word of, uh, of the reality of the Spirit of God is to be at the heart of what it means for us to follow Jesus. And I'm going to ask you today, and I'm going to ask you as we go through, are you encountering God? Or is God just something out there that you kind of believe in? Versus something which is very personal to you, very real to you. A dynamic presence, a person whom you love and know is at work in your life. Well, today I'm, I'm going to start this discussion by asking you um, to think about the before and after scenario of the life of the disciples of Jesus as it's portrayed to us. Do you ever watch those uh, decorating shows or renovating shows and they always do the before and after shot? Hands up if you do. Who are the renovation junkies in the... Come on, put your hands way up in the air. Bless you, my friends. I like them too. I like them too. But what the shows usually start, and whether it's a whole house or a room, you know, they take you into this kitchen and, and they say, this is what needs renovated. I look at half of them and I think, that's pretty good. You know, well, don't touch it. Leave it alone, you know. But, uh, you know, and then afterwards they tear it all out and then they build a new one that's, you know, it's more in the current style. But it's beautiful. It's perfect. And then they show you the before and the after. Sometimes it's a whole house they walk into and they have to wear a mask because it's smelly. And, you know, they open the fridge door and it nearly knocks them over. And it's like a disaster in there. Well, they gut the whole house and they totally rebuild it from the, from the uh, two-by-fours up, if you would. And it's just, like, Beautiful. You know, like it's fantastic. And again, the before and after shot. I want you to think about the before and after shot of the disciples. You know, the before shot, let me describe to you. First of all, these were good men, good people. They were people of faith. Uh, they were people who um, had left everything to follow Jesus as they themselves reminded him. You know, Peter, they, they had high points. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He identified Jesus the way that Jesus needed to be identified when others didn't know who he was. That's impressive. Um, you know, Jesus sent them out as 12 and then as 72 in Luke 9 and 10. And they were told to go and preach and to heal and to cast out demons in my name, Jesus said. And they did. They exercised the authority of Christ. And we've talked about doing that in recent days. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Evil was overcome through their ministry. They were excited. It was a remarkable time for them. They, they did some good things. But for the most part, the before picture is not very impressive. Think of that dilapidated house that needs fixed up. Um, usually, they were completely confused about what Jesus said. He'd say things, and they're talking in the background. like, what is he talking about? Why didn't he just tell us what he means? Right? They didn't get it. They really didn't understand why Jesus had come. I mean, that was just beyond them. They thought this political mil slash military kingdom was coming and that Jesus would sit on a throne and cast the Romans out through, through war. And so, like, they were just deluded. They'd, you know, they just didn't get it. And their motivation for following him was questionable, to say the least. A couple of them, you know, through their mommy, you know, said, can we sit on your right and your left when you sit in your kingdom? They wanted power. 
They were very self-serving in their motivation for following Jesus. They wanted positions of significance and power and so forth. Um, and I could go on. The, the, the worst example, of course, is when Jesus was arrested and when Jesus was crucified. Uh, they abandoned him. They became totally fearful, and they ran away, uh, and they hid as Jesus was left alone to die, failing the presence of his mother and a couple of other women, which, by the way, was phenomenal. Um, that's the before picture. Not great. Not impressive. But there became an after picture as well because of Pentecost. That day the Holy Spirit of God was given. And I want to tell you, the day the Spirit of God was given, and it's recorded in Acts 2, we're going to read it in a minute, it changed them profoundly. Everything in them and everything about them was different. I want to tell you, when we experience the Holy Spirit of God, we, we are changed. And this is, this is illustrated for us in the text. Just before we get to that, I want to, I want to remind you, and I think it's so important, that this giving of the Holy Spirit by God from heaven to human beings, such as ourselves. We can know this too. That's what I want to say to you. Um, it was long prophesied. It's, it's throughout the Old Testament. Let me read you Joel 2, 28 to 29. And this is the passage that Peter's going to quote later on in Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost. But it says there this, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit. Notice it. Think of a big jug of water just being poured onto something. But I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's so cool that in this context, it's, you know, both male and female are included in this prophecy because women wouldn't have been able to engage this things in that, these things in that day. But anyway, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel looked forward to a day when Pentecost would happen. It became something of incredible significance to him. In his mind, he looked forward to it. Let's go to the uh, Ezekiel passage, 39, 29. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. Something's coming, the prophets told us, over and over and over again. Something of incredible significance will happen. And I want to tell you, Jesus himself uh, did this. I'm going to take a few minutes and we're going to unpack just a little bit a text in John 14, but I think it's so critically important that we understand that Jesus talked about this time and this reality, which we are to experience just as they did then in a life-changing way. So John 14, verses 15 and 16, Jesus has just said at the beginning of John, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust in me, I'm going to my Father, I'm going to die, but it's, it's okay. I'll come and get you again. It's in this context of him departing uh, that we read these words. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you. Now, hold on just there. He will give you another advocate, another person to do in your life what I have been doing for you. An advocate is one who stands alongside. Other translations talk about uh, a comforter. Others talk about an encourager. Others talk about things like uh, a counselor to be with you, someone to help you, someone to be with you forever. Now, let me ask you this question. If that happened at Pentecost, and if it is to be a reality in our lives, is that something we're to experience? These people experience the presence of Jesus, and they're going, oh, no, he's going away. Jesus turns around and says, no, no, don't worry. I'm going to send you another 
counselor, and he will be with you. We are to encounter this one who is to be our helper and to be with us. You know, it's like the idea of being, being married to somebody. They're, you're with them all the time, but you don't know they're there. It doesn't make sense. This is supposed to be a big part of what it means to follow Jesus. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. You know, he's the one who's going to come. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him uh, nor knows him. The world can't see this spiritual reality, blind to it. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Two things. He is the spirit of truth. We're going to come back to this. But if we come to know spiritual truth, it is because of the presence and the action of the spirit of God in us. We do not have the capacity to see unless God reveals to us his truth. It's an incredible thing that the Spirit of God does. And if you have come to know anything of the truth of God, it's because he has revealed it to you, all right? And then secondly, it says, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, I think that's an absolutely startling thing, a startling comment, that God, the eternal God by his Spirit, dwells within us. That's what we believe. We invite Christ into our lives by faith. The Spirit of God comes. The Spirit of Christ comes, and he dwells in us. God lives in you if you are his. And that's not to say you are God. That's what other movements might suggest. That's a big problem. <laughs> You're not God. But God dwells within you. He is in you, it says, and he is with us. All right, go on to verse 18, please. I will not leave you as orphans. That's what they're feeling. You know, you're going away. We're going to be alone. We're going to have no one to care for us and to lead us and, and, and to, 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 to teach us and to guide us as you have Jesus for three years. It's almost like they're little kids and their parents are taken out of their life and they're left and they're vulnerable and they're alone. Jesus said, no way. That's not going to happen. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How will he come? He'd come by his spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. I'm going to be crucified and resurrected and ascended to heaven, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. What we're talking about is a day which would come, this day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God would come and we would be drawn in to that incredible unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This union that we have with Christ which allows us to participate in if you would, God. It's a remarkable teaching. So Jesus looked forward to this day, this day when God would act. Oh, one more, one more text, actually, isn't there? Verses uh, 20 to 26, 25 to 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, Jesus said. And then this, but, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. One of the primary tasks of the Holy Spirit of God who is present in us and who can be active and powerfully real in us is that he will teach us the things of God and remind us everything that Jesus had spoken to his disciples. Um, my friends, my question is, how much do you know of this reality? How significant is this for your life? How real is God to you by his Spirit? See, God the Father is in heaven. God the Son is at his right hand. If we experience God in any way on earth, it's through an experience of the Holy Spirit who is with us. Remarkable, remarkable possibility. I hope through this series that if you haven't come to a place where you're regularly experiencing the presence and the power and the action of God that you will, 
And if you are experiencing that you'll experience it more. Now, let's turn to Pentecost itself. That thing that Jesus prophesied about, that thing that Ezekiel and Joel told us about and so many others. Let me read to you this momentous moment in the history of humanity and certainly in the history of the church. Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were, all they were all together in one place. Suddenly, now note these words, a sound like. It doesn't say it was a sound of, a blowing, uh, of the blowing of a violent wind. It was like that. This is mystery being unfolded before us. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Deeply spiritual moment. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So they'd all gathered together from across the known world to celebrate the Jewish festival of Pentecost. When they heard this sound that sounded like a violent wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. They were confused by this. How can this be? Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans were highly uneducated people. They didn't know multiple languages. And they're saying, like, what? how is this happening? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Remember that phrase, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Maybe that's it. So it was a powerful moment. But here's the, question that I, the questions that I have for you that arise out of this text. As I would suggest to you, they experienced God profoundly. How is it that they were enabled to speak foreign languages? You know, all the languages of all these people groups from around the Mediterranean and so forth. How is it that they came to this place as people who were uneducated Galileans, that they were speaking languages that they didn't know. It was because of the presence and the movement and the power of the Spirit of God in them. Something dramatic and beautiful happened, miraculous happened. How was it that they were able to declare the wonders of God? Remember, days prior, they are confused about how, who Jesus was. They're confused about why he had come. They're totally oblivious to what God is doing in him. And all of a sudden, they're declaring this wonderful, dynamic a message that has, has been unknown for centuries, that, that, but now they're telling people of Christ and of what God was doing in their, in their time? How was it that they moved from being fearful people who ran away to save their own skins, totally unwilling to identify with Jesus, to standing up publicly and telling anybody who would listen, I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is who Jesus is, and this is what God has done. You have to see the dramatic difference. The before and the after shot is huge in terms of difference. How is it that they, that they came to this place in life where they were courageous for Christ? They were transformed. They were changed people. I mean, you can't read the text and not be struck by the, the difference. 
Well, I hope you know already the difference that came in them is because the Holy Spirit entered into their being and changed them. And I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes into us in a powerful way, He changes us. He changes us in ways that we'll describe here. But let me talk to you about Peter in terms of the before or after. Last point. How is it that Peter is no longer the denier of Jesus? How is it he's no longer the ultimate betrayer? Now, in the verses that follow this text, he stands up and he preaches this incredible sermon which is filled with incredible understanding of the hidden mysteries of God in Christ and the plan of God for this world. How is it that, uh, that, that, that he came to this place of understanding? You know, I want to tell you, I, I want to tell you the Spirit of God taught him all truth and he reminded him of what Jesus said and he revealed to Peter the things of God in a way that they had not been revealed before and he became the preacher of this truth. No longer confused, no longer blind to the reality of what Jesus was up to, his purposes and his plan. Let me read to you just a few verses from that sermon. Chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Listen to the truth and to the passion and to the understanding. Therefore, this is Peter speaking, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit as well. You ever feel conviction of sin? We're going to get to it. Boy, the Spirit of God is at work in your heart, and that's a good thing. And, and uh, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see the incredible importance of the Spirit of God in our lives? You know, this man's mind was changed. His heart was changed. He became a different man. He became one of the pastors, James being the other of the, of the Jerusalem church that just grew in power. Right after this verse, two verses later, it says how in response to the sermon, 3,000 people had their eyes opened and their hearts changed and they put their faith in Jesus. It's phenomenal. Peter, who days before was running away and hiding and denying Jesus and weeping and broken because he's such a failure. Now he's a champion for Christ. Why? Because of the Spirit of God empowering and enabling him. See, my friends, this is what the Spirit of God does. He opens mind, he changes heart, he changes the people of God, and he gives us a passion for Jesus. Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit of God in your life in a profound way? Let me ask you this. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, blowing my conclusion, but I don't care. Who here wants more of God in their lives? Who here wants more of God in their lives? More understanding, more courage, more passion for the things of Jesus, more capacity to impact in this world. I want to tell you, if you want more of God, you desperately need more of the Spirit of God. You need to open your heart and your life to Him. You know, I want to... I'm not going to read Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. I know it's a passage very familiar to this church because I've preached on it probably more than any passage that I have in my now 26 years here. But while the verses are projected, I want to ask you a question. Why is it that these people, the early church, formed immediately after Peter's sermon, loved the things they loved? Because I read this text and I see they loved some things. You can read it along if you like. Verse 42, they loved to learn the word of God. Anybody here love Scripture and want more of it? I mean, are there people here who are hungry for the Word of God? 
Jeremiah, I think it said, I, I took the word of God and I ate it. You want to gobble it up. You want every little bit of it that you can take hold of. These people loved to sit under the apostles' teaching and have their minds open to what God was doing in their day. You know, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. How many people love being together? It's called fellowship in this text. But it's when people come together and they love one another and they love the Lord Jesus and they share life. That's why life groups are so incredibly significant to our understanding of what IPC is, small groups generally. You know, the, the, the bond that was formed, the unity that they had in the Spirit of God and in their faith in Jesus, they exercised it, they did life together. How many people love, you know, breaking of bread? This is the early expression of the Lord's Supper. You know, what happens when we break bread, when we take the cup, when we take, the, take, take the, um, the bread and we recognize the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus? We're being reminded. And remember, the Holy Spirit reminds us, Jesus says, of the things that he would say to us. We're being reminded that Jesus died for us and he shed his blood for us to the point of death so that we could know God, so that we could be his, so we could be forgiven. And I want to tell you, when we gather together around a table that sits right here as we did not that long ago, the Spirit of God is present with us in a powerful way and he ministers to us and he convinces us of the truth of God and he blesses us. And we are changed. How many people here love to pray? How many of you love to pray? These people did. <laughs> they were devoted. They were passionate about prayer. They wanted to be in the presence of their God, and they wanted to worship Him and praise Him, but they also wanted to invite God into their lives to see what God might do in and through them. See, God's Spirit was profoundly at work in this church, and I, wanna, I, want, well, I want the Spirit of God profoundly at work in our church. And God wants that. You know, going on, now on to verse 44 to 45. This is kind of cool. Um, they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions in order to provide for people who are in need. You know what these people loved? They loved to give. They loved to give. You know, um, it, it, it's interesting that, in, in my experience, one of the things that is very human is the opposite of that. You know, without God, you know, maybe not in every instance, but I think the norm for a human being is I got to get the money and I want to hold on to it and I want it to, I want to accumulate it for me. And that might sound a little negative. Maybe it is a little overly negative. I don't know. But one of the things that I know is that when the Spirit of God is poured into the life of an individual, they become people of incredible generosity. I know it. I see it. You know, people come to a point where it's not all about them. Now it's about people who are in need, whether it be physically or spiritually or emotionally, whatever the case might be. Love dwells here, and people become ready to be generous with the resources that God has entrusted to them. And, you know, you talk about tithing, and some people say, are you, like, are you out of your mind? You want me to give 10% of my income away? No, I'm not interested in that. As opposed to somebody who has been profoundly filled with the Spirit of God and whose mind has been made new, they recognize everything that they have is God's. That's the truth that God has revealed to them. And their hearts have been so ch changed and moved that they want to give and they find joy in giving. And quite frankly, there are a lot of people who would give more if they could. That's the evidence of the Spirit at work. And it's a beautiful thing that is displayed for us here. Beautiful thing. Um... What's next? Verse 46. These people love to worship. <laughs> and they met together in the, in the temple courts every day. 
And again, some people are like, I, I got to go to church again on Sunday. Well, I better, I better put in a showing. You know, it's like, ah, uh, is Chris preaching? Oof. Maybe I'll go when Chuck's preaching. That was last week, right? There, but are you seeing the point I'm trying to make to you? There was a passion in these people to be in the presence of their God. They loved to be with him in worship. They loved it. You know, uh, you know what happens to our attendance kind of the beginning of June until the end of September? I'm talking a, a, a third of the year. You know what happens? Somebody tell me. It, it plummets. It goes, ooh. You know, we're down way beyond 100 people on average per Sunday. Oh, judging it. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Way to go, guys. You're here. Fantastic. You know, my question is, is why? Why? You know, uh, years and years ago now, I, I, come back, I had come back from a holiday, and I was talking to an individual. And this person said to me, um, you know, we were chatting away, and I mentioned I had been to, to a worship service. He said, you go to church in your holidays? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll have to tell you most of the time, though. I don't always go. Most of the time. And, and I said, yeah, I did. And, and he looked at me like I was nuts. And he said, why? And I, quite frankly, I don't have a clue what I said to him then. I just know what I want to tell you now. That when I go to church on a, in, in my holiday time, it's because I want to be in the presence of God. And I want the Holy Spirit of God, again, to have that opportunity to fill my life. I want to know the truth of the Word of God, which the Holy Spirit can reveal to me. And I want an opportunity to worship the God who has done so much for me. I want to be there. And I say as I preach to the choir, don't give up on God for a third of the year because you can encounter the living God by the Spirit of God. When I sing some of these songs, my heart is deeply touched in a way uh, in, 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 which it is not touched otherwise. Can anybody relate to that here? The, there's the power that, in music that the Spirit takes and, and he touches my heart and he brings healing or encouragement or peace. Sometimes it's challenge, but it's like a channel to my heart that nothing else is. And if I don't get into the presence of a worshiping body of people who are singing before the Lord, I lose that opportunity. There could be a, a sermon that's being taught on my holiday and God wants to speak to me and I want to hear the word of God. I'm hungry for it. And I'm going to miss it. And I'll be impoverished because of that. You know, this is similar to prayer. I was going to mention this earlier when these people love to pray. When I was, uh, you know, a teenager in youth group, the, the youth leader said to me, or to all of us, you got to do your devotions every day. You got to read the Bible and pray. So I did it. I read my Bible and devotions every day. And when I say every day, I mean every single day. And it, it came to a point where, you know what, this is, this is nothing other than a, an obligation. I'm doing it because I should do it. And I've been doing it trying to be faithful. And I had to stop. <laughs> Might sound heretical to you, you know, but probably in my early 20s, I just had to stop because I couldn't go to, to Scripture and I couldn't go to prayer without feeling this obligation and this weightiness and somehow a belief that if I didn't do it, God was unhappy with me and that I wasn't going to be blessed in the same way, which was nonsense. And I didn't engage that process again until I could go back into the presence of my Lord Jesus, knowing Him by the power and work of the Spirit within me. And now when I pray, I mean, it's a long time since what I just described to you, but I primarily go to pray to be with Christ. I don't, I don't go to pray to get stuff for me, although I ask for stuff later on. I go to be with the God I love, and He nurtures my soul with His Word. And when I pray, I share my life with Him. 
And, and I thank him for what he has done for me, and I'm reminded of who he is, and um, that's it. How many people love to pray? You know, this is what we're called to, but my friends, I, my point to you here this morning, this only happens when the Spirit of God is powerfully at work in us. And I want to know it. <laughs> I'm here to ask you today, are you encountering God? Or is God just some sort of object of faith who is at a dis distance but isn't transformative in my life, who I'm not encountering on a daily basis, doing remarkable things? And we're going to talk in this series about what those things are. Let me read you e Ezekiel. And we'll wind down. Another prophecy from chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. Who has been cleansed here by the blood of Christ, right? No, a lot of us have. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. We've got to get rid of those from our lives, right? It says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. Wow. I will remove from you a heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know what that text's describing? That which would happen after Pentecost when God by his spirit came and he transformed who we are. We become new creations, the New Testament says. We, be, we don't longer have a heart which is hard against God and resists his will and resists his commands. We have a heart that has been softened and which wants to keep his commands. Because the Spirit of God has changed us. Talk more about that next Sunday. And I hope and I pray that you've encountered the Spirit of God at least in that initial phase and that your heart has been made new and you long for the things that I've been describing here today. What I hope and pray for is that I have described these things. You've come to a place where with all of your heart you're saying, God, I want more of you. I'm not satisfied with my level of experience of you. I'm not satisfied with my level of passion for you and for your kingdom and for the things of Jesus. I'm not satisfied with the way things are. I want more of God in my life. Now, don't put up your hand, but anybody here and inside their heart, you're screaming the answer, yes. Here's what I want to tell you. If that's you, the Spirit of God is at work in you right now. Because nobody thinks that without the Spirit of God producing it in them. What do we do if we want more of God? Well, we've got a series ahead of us. And it's going to be staggered through the summer because of holidays. But I want to tell you, at the core uh, of the answer of that question is this very simple point. We get into the presence of the Lord and we say, God, give me more of your Spirit. I open my heart to you. I open my life to you. And I pray that you will pour your spirit into me and that you will change me the way that those people were changed in the first century in Jerusalem. My friends, you want to come to a place where your eyes are open so that you see what you cannot see now or you see more of what you cannot see now? It's the spirit that will do it. You want to get to that place where your mind is informed in a new way, where your heart is changed so that you desire and long for the things of God, where you're empowered to do the things of God, where you're passionate, not for the things of the world anymore, but for the things of the kingdom. You want to come to that place where you learn to love prayer and you love worship and you get hungry for scripture because you know in it you encounter God and in that word you will find life. You and I need the spirit of God to move and to powerfully impact our lives.
So here's how we're going to end. I'm just going to give you a moment of silence, if you wish, to say, Lord, pour out your spirit upon me. Give me more of yourself. Holy Spirit, come. And what I know and what I believe with all of my heart based in this book, if you pray that prayer in deep sincerity, God will answer the prayer in his own time and in his own way. But you will go deeper in this faith and you will encounter him more and you will be transformed by him. And you will know the reality of the living God. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord God, we recognize that our salvation and anything that we have of you comes from you. It is a gift to us. That gift is mediated by your Holy Spirit, and we would pray, our Father, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. Here now, these people gather together as they pray. Hear them, Lord, and answer their prayer. Lord God, as you once poured out your spirit on that first church in Jerusalem, oh God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon IPC. God, grace us with this, we pray. Bless us with this, we pray, for we want to know you and your power. We want to know your love. We want to be, God, caught up with passion in the things that you were doing in this world as they once were. We want to see the miraculous. We want to be able to give. We want to be able to worship. But God, have a, a passion to do all of these things. So Holy Spirit of God, we open ourselves as a church to you and our lives as individuals to you. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Move in a new way among us. And do your work in us. Let us experience you, we pray, our God day after day after day. Bless us in, the, in this way we ask in the name of Jesus.